The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. So God, well my prayer this week has been that we would taste even a, a little bit of your goodness and your greatness. You are a great God. You created all things. It's hard for us to even wrap our minds around what that means, but you're a great God who created all things. And you're a good God who created all those things that you might win a people to yourself, a God who longs to dwell in your place with your people, with your presence, that we might enjoy you and worship you and taste your goodness and greatness. So God, we pray now that you would come by the power of your Spirit and your Word, which creates and brings light and life. Come by your Spirit and your Word and help us taste your goodness and your greatness. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're starting this series in the book of Genesis, and we've titled the series, Meeting the God Who Keeps His Promises. There's going to be windy roads, griminess, a lot of ugly stuff that happens, and yet this God keeps pursuing His people. Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament called the Pentateuch. So as we're reading through Genesis, oftentimes you'll see me pointing ahead a little bit to the other books because Moses wrote all five of these books and he wrote it really as one book. It's really one book and Genesis is kind of the beginning of these five. There are over 40 references to Moses writing this book in the Old Testament and New Testament. What I also want us to remember is who was he writing to, right? When we're, when we're looking at a book, we're going, who was he writing to? What was in his mind as the human author as God was writing through him? Well, Moses was writing to the people of Israel after the redemption from Egypt and during their wilderness wanderings. So we need to read it with that initial audience in view. A people wandering towards a promised land but confused and weary, and as we'll see, full of sin. And I'm sure it was easy for them. Imagine Moses leading this people, all the grumbling that's going on, all the complaining, all the mishaps, all the stuff. I'm sure it was easy for these people to have their eyes set on their sin and on their suffering rather than the promises of God. It was easy for them to want to go away from God and towards other things because... In many ways, they'd forgotten about God, right? You remember that they just, a few weeks after they get out of, the, out of Egypt, are like, let's go back to Egypt. Right? Let's go back to Egypt, because this is kind of tough. And that's who Moses is writing to. He's got those people in mind. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. Fools despise the fear of the Lord, but Moses wanted them to remember their God and walk in the wisdom of trusting His promises and obeying His commands. And I'm convinced if we're going to be wise, we're going to trust God, we're going to want to obey His commands, we need this big of a picture of our God. We remember how big He is and how great He is and how good He is. 
In Genesis 1, we find a picture of a God that is all-powerful, who creates by the power of His Word. And the main theme, I think, especially as we're thinking about the day and age we live in, of Genesis 1, is that the God who creates is surely the one who gets to define how his creation will function and flourish. In other words, you can't function or flourish in this design unless you say first, God gets to say what's right. God gets to say what's good. The people of Israel were weary and sinful and needed to remember this God again and trust Him and obey Him in the midst of a world that worshipped many other gods and certainly wasn't following after the true God. And you might be thinking, well, we live in a world right now that has functionally forgotten God, don't we? Isn't that true, right, that we live in a world that's functionally forgotten God? It cannot be wise because it doesn't remember God, nonetheless fear God. When was the last time you hung out somewhere, secular, kind of outside the church, and you left going, that place fears God. They acknowledge Him and they, they fear Him. Our world thinks it has the power to create its own gods, or perhaps more to the point, to be God itself. And yet we're called to be set apart from that. Right? Be in the world, but not of it. In the world, but not take on the world's mindsets. In fact, we're called to renew our minds. And because of Jesus, now we are the people of God. We are the people weary of the sin in the world, still struggling with our own sin. We are a people longing to be home, but still having a hard time at times, trusting the promise of a final resting place while we wait. And so the words of Moses stand throughout history to show us the goodness and greatness of a God who keeps his promises because he is the creator who has no rivals. He has no rivals. (laughs) You cannot have rivals when you created everything else. And these words stand to help us return to a fear of God that will help us walk in the wisdom of trusting and obeying Him even in a world that forgets Him and opposes His wisdom. So my prayer this morning is that we see the goodness and greatness of God. It would be the beginning of wisdom for us to follow Him, to trust Him, and to obey Him. So we're going to see the goodness and greatness of God in creation. And first what we're going to see it in is in the forming and filling going to form things. He's going to fill things. Look at verses 1 to 2 first. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, we could get into all of the, the theories out there, the 24-hour day theory, the age gap theory, the, the framework theory, we could get into all those theories, but that's not the main point of what's going on here. The main point, the main thing I want you to hear is that this is history. This is history. This is not a poem. This is not fiction. This is not some kind of allegory. This is history. This is God recording through Moses history. And what's true is that Any of those theories out there that have been debated for all this time, the the best proponents of each of them will acknowledge this is history. If we lose the historicity of Genesis, we lose the rest of the Bible. 
So whatever theory you land in, again, you can talk to Rick or Bruce about those things. Wherever you want to land, this is history. We're reading history. I would, if you're going to say, what kind of genre is Genesis 1? I would say it's beautiful, stylistic prose. (laughs) Historical narrative with this beautiful authorship to show the beauty and majesty of God. The main point of these two verses is clear with history in mind. God is the creator. God is the one who is before anything else that is. God is the main actor and creator in the universe. The phrase heavens and earth is used to convey that God created it all. Right? The, the whole universe was fashioned by his own hands. He has no rivals. He has no competition. In the beginning, he created everything out of nothing. That's the clear point of these two verses. And I want you to notice the way the earth is described. It says it's without form. It's void. It's dark. You get the idea of a kind of nothingness, emptiness, maybe even some chaos by the term darkness. And in the midst of the emptiness and nothingness and chaos, the Spirit of God as we're going to find out through the rest of the Bible, is there hovering, right? Ready, preparing to create life. That's what the Spirit of God's doing, hovering and ready. And how will the Spirit of God create life? He's going to create it through the Word of God, which is going to be the theme throughout the rest of the Scriptures. And what we're going to see is the Word of God and the, the Spirit of God bringing shape to what is formless filling what is empty and bringing light and life to what is dark and nothing. And in all of this, we get to see the supreme power and creativity of the God of the universe. We're meant to see His glory and His goodness on display in His greatness. So we're going to dive in now. Remember, emptiness, formlessness, nothingness, darkness. Now we're going to dive into the forming and the filling, the forming and the filling is Moses' way to say, here's how that problem was solved of this formless and empty darkness. And the God of the universe, the God of Israel, solved it. So let's look at forming first. In verses 3 to 13, we see God forming. The Spirit is there in all this, and notice that it's the Word of God that does the work in each case. So notice these repeated Phrases that are meant to get our attention. They're repeated for a reason. The words, and God said, are repeated. The words, and it was so, are repeated. And the words, it was good, are repeated. In other words, the theme of this chapter, the way it was written is meant to show us God says it, it happens, God is great, and God is good. Right? God says it, it happens, God is great, God is good. Kids, have you ever made something out of blocks or Legos or Play-Doh or whatever your creative thing of choice is? Now, have you ever done it just by speaking? Right, Quinn and I were in the, the basement a few weeks ago, and we had the hardest time between the two of us to get these 12 blocks just to stand for more than two seconds. And I was thinking about Genesis 1 thinking, and here, here God just, just speaks. Like, we've got stuff. 
<laughs> We've got stuff to work with, trying to build a tower, and it was very unimpressive if you would have watched us. And here God has nothing, and he speaks all of this into existence. This is what God does. So what does God create just by speaking in verses 3 to 13? Well, in verses 3 to 5, we see that God creates light. It says he creates light. He sees that it's good. And he separates the light from the darkness. And the, the light he calls what? Day. And the darkness he calls night. And so we have the first day. Notice that even in the pattern of creation, we see that while that darkness comes first and light is always coming behind it, that the light is always going to shine into the darkness. That's not how we think about it, is it? You think of your day starting and night coming. And here we see night is here, but light is coming. Right? Even as Iris was reading through Genesis 1 this week, she said, it's weird to think of light coming after darkness. But I think we're meant to think of it that way. Light's coming into the darkness. Well, in verses 6 to 8, on day 2, God separates the waters above and the waters below, and the waters above he calls heaven, the heavens. On day 3, in verses 11 to 13, God gathers the waters below in one place, and the dry land appears, and God calls the dry land earth, and the waters he gathered together he calls seas. And after all this separation, God says that these heavens and earth and seas are good. And during that same day, in verses 11 to 13, God has vegetation sprout and plants and fruit trees, all of which have seeds in them, so they can continue to multiply according to their own kind. And to keep reproducing themselves. So God forms light and land, and sky, and vegetation by His Word and the Spirit. He speaks it. He speaks it. And it's created. And it's good. The earth is no longer without form or covered in darkness. Now there's form and there's light by His Word. I don't know how to make that as great as it is. But I hope that you feel it darkness and formless and now he speaks and there's form and there's light and then he fills it so soon the earth will not be void or empty either but the form he created will be filled brimming with life what you'll see is that what God formed in verses 3 to 13 corresponds with how he fills in verses 14 to 25. In days 1 to 3, he formed. In days 4 to 6, he fills. Day 1, lining up with day 4. Day 2, lining up with day 5. Day 3, lining up with day 6. So let's look at day 4, which goes with the light created in day 1. On day 4, God puts lights in the heavens. Again, if you're wondering how was the light there before the lights were in the heavens, I would say I don't know, probably like in Revelation. <laughs> There's going to be light with no sun needed because God is there. We can figure that out. Rick and Bruce, again, are your resources. They have a few purposes here. So God puts these lights in the heavens for a few reasons. They're going to separate day from night. They'll mark seasons and days 
in years. They'll give light to the earth. God created light, and now he fills it up with the sun and the moon and the stars. The greater light during the day and the lesser light during the night. When you look up at the sky, the heavens are declaring the goodness and greatness of God. Right, that you have lights that can make your days and nights make sense so that you don't go crazy. That you have lights that there's day and night that you would rest. All of these things declare the goodness and greatness of God. Kids, have you ever looked up at the sky and tried to count the stars? I, I remember being little and being outside and looking up and just trying one time to count the stars. And I remember being very frustrated, right? I was just never going to get there. There are always more, and I was pretty sure I was missing some. I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. I was like, did I get that one? So, so listen to this, kids. Did you know that our galaxy is over 600 trillion miles across? 600 trillion miles. Again, how do, I, how do I help you get this, right? 600 trillion miles across. Do you know that our galaxy is only one of hundreds of thousands of millions of galaxies? Hundreds of thousands of millions. I had to write it down to make sure I said it right. So 600 trillion miles across, one of hundreds of thousands of millions of galaxies. Do you know that each of those galaxies has hundreds of millions of stars? You're never going to count them all. (laughs) And yet God created each one. Can you see the greatness of God in creation? It's the sheer vastness and greatness of of God in creation. Well, what about his goodness? What about his goodness? Do you know that if the sun or the moon were any further or closer to us, we would not be able to live? Any further, any closer, we don't make it. <laughs> we're not here. We're not sitting here. Do you know that if the earth was tilted at any different angle, I think the angle is 23 degrees it's tilted at, Otherwise, we would not be able to live. So here's this vastness, this greatness, and then here's this perfect situation that we might live, that we might know Him. Do you see not only His greatness, but His goodness to us in creation? So God forms light and then fills it with the sun, moon, and the stars just perfectly that we might live and know Him. Well, day five then corresponds with day two. On day two, God formed the heavens and the seas. On day five, God fills them with sea creatures and flying creatures. You should go do research this week on how deep and how vast the ocean is. I'm not going to go into all of it right now. I don't have time. But just go study the ocean for a little bit this week and think about the stars and the galaxies we talked about and then think about how deep the oceans go and realize the greatness of God. It's amazing. God forms it and He fills it, right, with fish and whales and sharks and jellyfish and all sorts of other weird things way, way, way down there that you've never even heard of. And God forms the sky, 
And he fills it with birds and flying creatures of all kinds. And when you look up and you see an eagle soaring or when the birds return to this God-forsaken place coming out of winter and you hear them chirping, it is meant to point you to the goodness and the greatness of God. God blesses these creatures and these flying creatures and tells them be fruitful and multiply and they're here to this day producing and reproducing according to their kinds. On day six corresponds with day three. On day three God formed the dry land and on day six God fills it with all sorts of land creatures to roam all over the face of the earth and he gives them the ability to multiply according to their own kind. The giraffes and the gophers, and the lizards, and the rabbits, and the tigers, and the lions, and the bears. God created them all to fill the land that he had formed. So think about what's happened. At the beginning of the story, there's no form, there's emptiness, and there's darkness. And now by the word of God and the spirit of God, there's form that is brimming with light and life. Not just a little bit, but it's, it's brimming. That's the picture. It's just filled with light and life. And it was good. I want to point out just one other thing that maybe you would miss as you read this about this forming and this filling. And the number seven is the number symbolizing perfection throughout the Bible. And as we look at Genesis 1, we'll see this is a seven-day creation week, right? Showing this is perfection. God is doing this perfectly. Well, there's other cool, again, stylistic Moses just introducing these things to the people. The word God occurs 35 times, right? A a multiple of seven as a five-fold testimony to the perfection and point of the story in Genesis 1. 35 times, five-fold. This God is perfect, Or the word heaven and the word earth occur 21 times, each as a threefold testimony to the perfection of his creation. And the word good appears seven times to show that this isn't just like a good sandwich, right? Or a good TV show, but that this is perfectly good. It's the way it was supposed to be. It's perfection at the hands of its creator. And this is, I think, what the word shalom means. It means it's the way the creator designed it to be. All is working and flourishing exactly as it should. And we're not there yet. We'll get there next week. But God is creating all of this as a place where he can be present with his people. That's what he's doing. That's what this is for. That his people would see him and know him and fellowship with him, worship with him in this place. We'll see this next week. It's called, as my Old Testament professor, Jason DeRoshi, always used to tell us, the covenant triangle. Right? The, The God's place for God's people to dwell in God's presence. And in Genesis 1 to 2, it's perfect. And this is what shalom is. So remember with me again after we've seen this, who this is written to. Remember who it's written to. This is written to a people wandering, weary, wondering, will this God deliver on His promises? 
And Moses, I think you'd agree with me, has just powerfully reminded them of the goodness and greatness of their God. Right, right. God spoke some things to Israel, right, through Moses. God spoke some things to them. And Moses is saying to them, He formed the world by that word. He formed the world by that word. He filled it by His word. Surely He can keep His promises to lead you to the promised land, even in the midst of all your failures and in the midst of a world that's forgotten this God. Surely He will work to once again restore shalom where He will dwell with His people in His place. That's the word to this weary people. God creates by His Word. God will restore by His Word. God will keep His promises. So if you're here today and you are wandering and weary and wondering where God is in your story, this is the God we worship. Right? I always say we should pray prayers big enough for the God who has Genesis 1 on His resume. This is the God who works all of this power for our good. And he spoke to Israel and made promises. And Hebrews tells us he's spoken to us now in his son. He's spoken to us. He's promised to bring us to a final resting place. So church, the point of Genesis 1 for you today, and I think for Israel at that time, is you can trust this God. He's big enough to keep his promises. Point number two, a lot shorter than point number one. God's goodness and greatness in creation, in his ruling, and in his relating. So we've already walked through all the verses, but I just want to draw your attention to the goodness and greatness of God in his ruling and in his relating. If you study Genesis, you'll see that there's all sorts of other creation stories out there from the ancient Near East. You'll see those things. You'll remember again with me that Israel is a people coming out of a place in Egypt that was very polytheistic. That means they worship multiple gods. There's a bunch of gods going on, and that's how the the ancient Near East world was. Israel's coming out of a place where the stars and the sun and the moon were often considered gods. You look up at the sky to see your gods. In fact, Moses wouldn't even use the most common words for sun and moon because they were associated with gods, and Moses is saying that they're not gods. They're not gods. Israel was coming out of a place where sea monsters in the sea were often seen as warring against the gods and creating some kind of mayhem like they could contend with the gods. Genesis 1 is written to remind them that the sun, moon, and stars are not gods. They're not gods. They're created by the God of the universe. The sea and the sea creatures, there'll be no trouble to God because they're created by the God of the universe. Right? You get to the sea and you watch them cross the sea. They don't like the sea. (laughs) They've heard a lot about the sea. God goes, I'm going to show you that the sea can't compete with me. The sea can't compete with me. In other words, God is great. He has no rivals. There's no opposition he can't defeat because there's nothing he didn't create. So Genesis 1 shows him your God is great. And not only is he great, but he's greater without any rivals, with all this other stuff in this world that you're hearing about. Your God stands above all of that. All of that is myth and games. Here is reality. But not only is his greatness seen to these people, but his goodness 
would be seen in this story of creation. Genesis 1 stands in contrast to the gods of Egypt and the other ancient Near East gods who would create people. Want to know why those gods created people in the stories? So that these people could work and provide food for the gods. In other words, the gods were kind of lazy, kind of sick of working hard, kind of sick of all the mayhem and all it took to keep all this going. So we'll create people and then they can provide for us. Well, that's not Genesis 1, is it? Rather, the God of the universe, the one who rules over all things, provides food and goodness for his people. God's goodness and kindness in relating to his creation is seen. They would hear, not only is their God great, but he relates to them. He speaks to them. He'll provide for them. He's not the kind of God who is cold and distant and unengaged except to use them, go work for me and bring me your stuff. He is the kind of God who loves them, is near to them, and actually wants a relationship with them where they trust and obey Him and find true life and true rest in Him. This God stands in contrast to all other gods in His greatness, and He stands in contrast to all other gods in His goodness to His people. The God of the universe... The God who is three in one, Father and Spirit and Son, was enjoying infinitely delightful relationship in eternity past. And it was so good and so great to enjoy their goodness and greatness among each other that they overflowed in the perfection of His character. And the three-in-one God said, let's take this show on the road and create a place to dwell with a people where they can enjoy our presence. It's amazing. God did not create out of any deficit. Like he needed us to work hard and bring him food because he was getting a little bit tired. God didn't create out of any deficit. Like he needed us to kind of help do things. God created out of the abundance of joy in the three-in-one relationship. And he means to catch people up into this holy love. To catch people up into this holy delight. That's why you're created. The world was created that we might worship and enjoy the goodness and greatness of God. (laughs) It's why a world and a culture like we live in that thinks we are the end, that thinks we are the point, that thinks we are everything that matters will never be happy. We'll always be discontent. We'll always be searching. We'll never be finding. We'll always be running after the next thing to be angry about or passionate about because they were made. We were made to enjoy the goodness and greatness of this God. What on this earth will satisfy that longing? Right? Not, nothing. Israel needed to remember the supremacy of God in his ruling and relating. And I think that we need to remember it today, too. Finally, point number three. We get to see the goodness of greatness of God in redeeming. What's amazing about uh, Genesis 1 and 2 as we, as we unpack it is where we're at in history, we know so much more. <laughs> we know so much more of God's goodness and greatness, not only in creation, but in redemption, Right? We, we know, if you've read your Bibles at all, you know that we won't be in Genesis 1-2 to for long. Genesis 3 is coming. 
right? Sin is coming into the world, and this beautiful creation of perfection, shalom, it's not going to last. And as the fall happens, and there's a need for a Savior, Genesis 3 is going to take us there already, but as the fall happens and there's a need for a Savior, what's amazing to me is that the writers of the New Testament take up creation language to explain what's happening. They take up creation language to explain what's happening in your heart (laughs) and in the heart of your neighbor who you speak the gospel to and the word of God and the spirit of God. They go into this void, this nothingness and this darkness. And what do they create? Life and light. The New Testament writers use the same language that we're seeing here. Like 2 Corinthians tells us that by the blood of Jesus and the work of the spirit, we are what? New creations. (laughs) Right? New creations. Acts 1 promises us in Acts 2 that just as we are formed by God as new creation, we're filled by God with the Holy Spirit that we might enjoy Him and worship Him. We're formed and we're filled. Or Acts 1 and 2 again teaches that Jesus continues to teach and work and rule over His people by the power of His Spirit. We're a formed and filled creation to be ruled over by King Jesus. And the New Testament teaches us in in Hebrews 4 that we have access, 24-7 access to His throne of grace where there's grace and mercy and well-timed help. Our God relates to us. He says, come boldly with all of your requests. Come boldly. There's only grace and mercy and well-timed help for you. Ephesians 1, we're adopted into this family. He relates with us, sons and daughters of God. What other God is like that? We're formed and filled by God as His people. We rejoice in His rule over us and that He relates to us by the power of the Spirit and according to the power of His Word. God has pursued us with goodness and mercy and again seeks to dwell among his people in his place that we might enjoy his presence. That's what this morning is about. God has gathered his people in his place to enjoy his presence. This is the story of creation and it's the story of redemption as he makes us into his new creation. So, if you feel weary today, Remember that you have a God that formed the universe and formed your heart. He's taken out the heart of stone and put in the heart of flesh. Remember, if you feel weary today, that you have a God that filled the universe and has now filled you with the Spirit. In you, all the fullness of God dwells. Remember, You have a God that rules over the universe and has formed and filled your heart to finally enjoy His sovereign rule on your life. Right? We're not stuck in our sins. You're not. You're not stuck in your sins. You are greatly sinful. I am greatly sinful. But you're not stuck in your sins. Don't believe the whisper of the devil who'd have to try you. Figure it out on your own. Try to figure out where happiness is or try to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Make yourself God. Instead go, I have a God and I can submit. I can submit. I can gladly submit to His sovereign rule because He's formed and He's filled me. And remember that you have a God who relates to His creation and longs to relate to you right now no matter 
where you are. No matter what sin you're stuck in, (laughs) he's already paid for it. Right? You're redeemed. You're washed by his blood. You're clothed in robes of righteousness. Maybe you're here today and you don't know what to do with God. You, you don't know who he is, and you realize you've been running after all these other things, and if you've seen his goodness and greatness, just a little bit of it today, you're going, I want to know him, but I'm, I'm afraid. Just draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. Are you weary of a world that has forgotten your God? I can grow weary of a world that's forgotten my God sometimes. He has no rivals. Don't let the weariness turn into anxiousness. He has no rivals. Are you weary of your own sin? Praise God, He has formed and filled your heart to walk away from sin and towards Him. Are you weary of the poor job that man is doing ruling in politics or the poor job you're doing in ruling your own life? Submit to his rule and delight in it again. Re, rewalk in the glad obedience to your king. Have you felt distance or far from God because of shame or sin even this morning? Confess it. Confess it. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. Forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess it and draw near again. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you because of Jesus. You are a new creation. He's formed you, filled you, rules over you, and has made a way for 24-7 access to relate to Him. This morning, see the goodness and taste the greatness of our God. Is He not good? Is He not great? Remember the God who keeps all of His promises to you. Remember Him and rejoice. Remember him and repent. Remember him and worship. Remember him and draw near. That's what he wants. God's people in God's place where he can dwell among them with his presence. He wants you right now in this moment. Let's pray. So Lord, we We've seen the tip of the iceberg of your goodness and your greatness. Lord, you are worthy to be praised with, with all of our lives, with all of our hearts, with all of our resources, with all of our time and energy and money. Lord, with every word we speak and every thought we think, Lord, you are worthy. You are a great and greatly to be praised. And Lord, you are so good to us. Lord, you pursue your people. You long to dwell with your people. Pursue us with goodness and mercy all the days of our lives so that we may dwell in your house forever. God, you're pursuing us even now through your word and by your spirit. Lord, perhaps there are some in this room who have never trusted you. Lord, I pray that right now, by your word and by your spirit, you would speak into the emptiness and the formlessness and the darkness and bring form and filling in life. And God, there are dark, formless, empty places even in the souls of those who have trusted you. 
Lord, I pray that we would know that you've made us a new creation. You see us clothed in robes of righteousness. And that we would in this moment stop hiding in sin and shame and let you shine your light by your word and by the power of your spirit into our lives. Lord, help us see your goodness and greatness and rejoice. Help us see your goodness and greatness and repent. Help us see your goodness and greatness, Lord, in worship. Thank you for pursuing us through your word and by the power of your spirit. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.